Yeah, yeah, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm from Lebanon, but it's like it's like an hour and a half from Philly. Okay. So I grew up, I grew up right around all this stuff, like as BMX was happening, and just kind of like. What years did you like kind of grow up? Uh, I started in, riding in '99. Okay. I used to go down to York back in the day because I rode a lot of flatland. Like early on, like there was no street or in a sense, and so we rode ramps and flatland. And I would go down to York and get to ride with like the Five Hoods, like Kevin Jones, and Chase, and Mark Eaton. Awesome. And, that was a pretty cool experience. Obviously, that's not quite out of Philly, but they always kind of like live near Philly and yeah. King of Prussia, very large ray in that. So, yeah, I uh, I was listening to um, the Space Brothers podcast and they had a couple about the Dorkin in New York phase. And um, I work in New York. Mark Eaton interview. Yes, that was real good. Yes, yeah. real good. I was I was taken back because I worked there in New York. And I'm like, yeah, I, I still do, you know, and see how things turn out. But it's just like, of all places, this place, like, yeah, what is there here? Like, I mean, now they have like a huge skate park, big concrete park. But yeah, that's wild. Were you? Yeah, driving? go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I think they had a well, they had that little skate park there, and I don't know. They just had, you know, every place has the right mix, and yeah. or something with a mix. They had a killer mix and kevin jones obviously and then it just became this mecca because they had the mount rose parking lot and they would ride there and people were like oh you could go and then i think sort of being proximity to a lot of other cities mm-hmm. like philly and then like there was all those little like Easton pa there was a bunch of people in new york city it was easy for people to gather yeah a lot of like the baltimore people would come up and and so it was just became this place for people to gather, and yeah, I mean, it was pretty wild. It was amazing. <laughs> where, were you, where were you traveling from to go to York? Where were you? Buffalo. Yeah. Were, really? Holy shit. Yeah. Just because, like, I mean, I remember being, like, some, or probably, like, high school, like, 10th or 11th grade, mm-hmm. and and you would see the magazines, and what was cool about seeing those guys, I think what really got me excited a was they were super creative they were pushing the sport they really like who doesn't love like a changer right yeah a game changer like that whole story but they didn't live in california they Uh lived somewhere in the middle of nowhere like i did yeah i could relate to that even though it was a different place Mm -hmm. but it was still east coast and they were like that story of like someone out of nowhere changes the whole sport like that's all <laughs> for that as a as a ten year old or, uh, or like a tenth grader yeah that's and awesome. then yeah so eventually I would go down I remember like driving down there with like they had the first York Jam and I think I didn't go to that but I went to they had a mini one in the fall and my mom and I drove down wow and. Yeah, and she just stayed at the hotel, and I went and rode with these guys. It was really <laughs> bizarre, right? <laughs> Damn, mom's doing a solid. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's funny, because I remember, like, also in 89, there was the two-hip King of Earth and Meet the Street at Woodward, mm-hmm. and I didn't have my license at the time, but I had a learner's permit, and I drove the whole way with my mom, and she just, like, hung out in the parking lot at Woodward while I went and watched this contest, and, like... That was cool. That was like, 
Like it was, it's kind of interesting to think of like, like what your parents do. That, because when I was a kid, we my sister moved to Arizona, and we would drive across country to go see her. Mm-hmm. And so that was normal. Like that was what parents do, right? And so I was like, oh, you could just go do that. Yeah. So it was no. Once I got a car or once I got driving, it was like gone. Let's go here. Let's go here. And right. and just driving to Woodward is like, let's go, let's go do it. Nice. And we can do that. And that's, that's the one weird thing my parents taught me. Oh, <laughs> so. Decent. My dad taught me to ask for gas money from my other friends when he took us to the skate park. That's, that's a good one. Oh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> funny dad stuff right yeah I was like dad I'm just so happy these dudes are coming with right now I don't want to ask them for gas money like it's important I guess you know yeah that's hilarious um, <laughs> oh yeah so you you said you started racing in the early 80s I I got into BMX because my brother like mm-hmm. he would show me magazines like instead of BMX action it was bicycle motocross action oh, okay. like I remember him being like dragging me into a room like check this out check this out and he was so excited so that was like must have been early 80s mm-hmm. and and then I, I I would go to the track watch him race and then eventually it was my turn to race I, I got to race yeah. and I hated racing because <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of like I remember like I almost got third place only because there was three people in my race. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just remember being like, not, I just didn't want to crash. Yeah. Or I didn't want to, I didn't want to crash based on what being by someone else. Right. If I was going to crash, I wanted to be, cause I was jumping and I fell or something. And I, my quote to myself was like, you guys go ahead. I'll see you at the finish line. Just yeah. like, I, I just wanted to hit the jump. Yeah. That out and maybe race, but there was none of that. So I never, racing really wasn't my thing because it was too, like, I don't know, aggressive. I don't know. I just yeah. was like, I wanted to figure out on my own. One of my first experiences was with a BMX track, and I, it was a local one. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I got to have my first experience. I was by myself. The track guy was there, but he was cool. He let, us, let me ride it, even though I didn't have all the gear and, uh-huh. and he's like oh you should come out for race night and I and I was like so I got to try and ride this as fast as possible while other people are trying to knock me off of this nah I'm good on that <laughs> no that's exactly it like yeah. can I just jump it I mean it was like the idea like this is the first time I ever saw jumps yeah like, exactly I, I want to do that <laughs> I, I see I've seen the magazine I want to you know be Tinker Juarez or something right <laughs> And I remember the one day that we must have raced at night. At least that's what my memory is. That after the racing was done, there was like a bunch of guys brought in a quarter pipe. I remember them like carrying it in. And I didn't do it. I watched. But I remember like riding up it like fakie and coming down. And it was like, oh, that's cool. And when we're watching these guys do it, and it was cool to see it actually in person. Yeah. Um. But so that was like 83 and my brother was always like the motivator and eventually he stopped riding because he was six years older and got a car and, mm-hmm. and went out to college. But I remember when getting into sixth grade and the way our schools were, 
like at sixth grade, it was like all the schools kind of came together. Like right. we had all these different like elementary schools, yeah. but they all funneled into the middle school. And when I got to the middle school, I realized there's a whole bunch of other kids that are into BMX. So this is like 84, 85. And that's wow. like, Hey, mm-hmm. and like there were kids everywhere that had bikes. They all had pictures in their locker from magazines. I was like, this is awesome. So when I got to that point, I was able to like find kindred spirits, like people my age that I could do it with. And then from, you know, sixth or eighth grade, I had people to ride with, like on the regular. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually by high school, a lot of the kids quit and I had a real core group. Um, by that point I was like skateboarding and riding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all through high school, just rode and built some ramps and, and like I had a pretty smart engineering friend who uh, built like the first legit ramp that we rode. And it was like, cause he skateboarded only. Mm-hmm. And his first ramp, like I posted photos recently, was four foot wide. And I want to say eight foot high, but I've seen photos now. And I don't think, and it was a half height. Wow. And, and it was, the only reason why it was four foot wide is because he couldn't turn. He couldn't kick turn. He could only fake it. Oh my God! He did. Wow. Yeah. So he just went back and forth on the skateboard, and that's all he could do. So that's what it made sense. It was really like to this day, I think that's the most hilarious. And it was like <laughs> he didn't need to kick. He didn't need any wider because he. Yeah. Couldn't kick there. So, but eventually we built like bigger ramps and better ramps and wider ramps. <laughs> so. Damn. Yeah. So. Jumping a little forward here, I wanted to ask you, were you the first person to switch crank arm slide? I know you uh, you explained it a little um, bit to me in the email. No, I definitely would say that first person to do there first person to do switch crank slides mm-hmm. was Byron Anderson. He kind of there was an article in Ride BMX about handrail or handrail progression or something, and he did it down like. I think it was like a force error. Nothing. It wasn't anything insane. Mm-hmm. He really didn't lock on. He kind of bonked it, is what I was told. But the reason why he did a switch was because at that point, forty-four tooth sprockets were a thing. Yeah. And he was like, "Well, I'm going to hit the sprocket." And I bet you this was before left-hand drive, right. or I don't know which way he has his foot forward, but he must have had. He would have his sprocket on the side that he would. So he must be right foot forward. Yeah. Yeah. But so he was the first to do it. Mm -hmm. But you like, because like, it's hard to trace like the lineage and the exact moment when something was invented. Yeah. Could you see like, I remember Taj doing those like lip slide things on spines. He he would do it at Woodward. I remember being on the King Destroyer tour and seeing that. And that was in summer of 2000 and being like, whoa, that is like because I grew up around skateboarding, especially mm-hmm. in the 90s. I was like, whoa, that is like a lip slide. That is, that is amazing. Like, I would honestly say that's like the truest, the first crank slide. Right. I think oh, Paul B. Paul Buchanan did the feeble to crank slide. Oh. Like, bottom bracket thing down um, that flat red rail in Austin. Okay. And um, you could almost say that Garrett Burns is like, when he would always do the front pedal with the tire on that's all he had to do is push it over and that would be a crank slide so there's like all these pieces coming together 
Um, I think my contribution would be the idea of just holding. Well, I remember like seeing Byron doing a switch to do the thing to get mm-hmm. the crank the sprocket out of the way, but I was like, well, let's see if I could do it with it. So with the sprocket. Let me just, with, yeah, because we had the 44s. Yeah. I mean, let me just see. And I remember there was a, there's a, Buffalo has all these like flat rails, flat yeah. round rails. And I literally are just like creeping super slow, just top down, just to see if I could stall and just see where the sprocket hit. And I was like, oh, I think I, I, I think I got it, you know? And then, then obviously I went a little quicker and it just, for some reason it clicked. And my contribution, I would argue, is like doing it with the sprocket. Mm-hmm. But also, I didn't know Byron sort of just tapped it, is the way I was told. But whatever. But like, Doing it on the sprocket side and holding it, having control. I think that's my big, big contribution to to the trick. That's awesome. Yeah. And you got like a smaller window of forgiveness to hop into that. Like, what do you mean? Like, the idea of like... Because of the sprocket being there, you have totally. less forgiveness to like land at the... I, I think part. what it taught me was like, it's less crank slide and a lot more pedal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the one because I think that when I went away from when I added more pedal into it, I think that's where the control came in. Right, like the little like cupping the rail kind of. Yeah, you can kind of wrap your foot around it, and that's why I like I liked round rails better than flat rails, mm-hmm. like them, just because like the whole setup wraps around smoother. Where a flat rail like you get in the corners and you just don't have as much control. I think it doesn't, doesn't cup it very well. It just yeah. kind of, you know, so for me, round rails was the thing. I didn't like square rails for doing this much. Something that just popped in my head, thinking of like the flat rail and kind of like a more broad crank arm. I think it was called like the mangler grind or something like that. Um, was that something that like Mike Tag invented or something? No, there, <clears throat> well, there's, are you thinking the levitator? No, it, it was like, okay. it was kind of like someone attempting to do a crank arm, but they just kind of get away with whatever they, they got kind of vibe. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think there is that. There is that element of it where, because you could do bottom bracket grinds. Yeah. It's kind of like a Derek Duster, but I remember doing, it's like a crooked pedal feeble thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, a pedal crooked grind. Yes. But then you let the front peg drops or your bottom bracket and and your bottom bracket and pedal hit. Yeah. And you could do it like that and dip it. Um, but it's so inconsistent. Like you didn't have like if a grind could be held, then I was like, all right, that's cool. That's like that's a like a legit grind. Mm-hmm. But if you're sort of like tapping it, then you're like, because ah. I remember like I don't know if you remember like the head tube grind. No. Well, like you could bonk a rail on a with a head tube. Like um like a one eighty bonk? Ralph did it. And I remember I, I remember there was a UGP roots jam where I tried to head tube stall the subrail. What? Like you could do it. And there was like Wait, I got a, I got a finger bike out here. We can we can do some demonstrations. <laughs> yeah, just go up and like land. Like, so the rail's flat or dip going down? Uh, no, like a handrail. Okay. Well, do the subrail. Like, go put it like 
perpendicular, like yeah. you're going at it like this, right? And then you jump and land like that. Like this? Yeah. So kind of yeah. like Seth Kimbrough's stem stall? Yeah, basically that, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, I think James Hitchcock did it for, did it, finally did one. But, okay. like, I think it was, must have been 2000, 2001 Roots is the first one I went to, and I remember trying it there. And, oh, but you, and you could, we would go, like, we had a cool skate park here at Buffalo that had, like, some handrails, and, and there was an up rail, you'd ride up a wedge, and you could, like, bonk, bonk head tube grind, like, up it. Just, like, this long. Like, kind like, of, like, dusting. okay, so, like, kind of like this, like, you're kind of, like, um, hitting it. Yeah. Up. Okay, got it. All right. And then the question is, like, could you, could you hold it? And, like... Right. Is is that controllable? Right. It's kind of like the, the front side crank slide. Mm-hmm. It's such a like, you know, dudes can control it now when they go fakey. It's harder to like, you know, like I always look for the way to control it. If you can control it, then that was sort of like, that was like a legit. Yeah. Not yeah. legit. That's like a weird word, but like that's that's like the goal, right? Yeah, because then the it's applicable to other places. Like, yeah. Yeah, because there used to be like iceberg grinds back in the day. I got a hander. I was like, you would jump twenty steps and catch tag the last two. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a logical step in the progression. But obviously now dudes can jump on it, going right at the very like inch from the top and slide it a whole way and like mm-hmm. go down up through kings, hop over and just control it. Like yeah. that's the ultimate goal. It yeah. all starts with like the bonk, I guess, but. Right. Who would be learn head tube grinds and control it? Imagine down a double king. Oh man, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> that would be awesome, but <laughs> it'd be wild. It probably wouldn't look great, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what made me think of it was because I remember watching one of the older kink sections and I saw you do the switch footed crank arm slide, and I was like thinking of like current day where everybody's switching their feet up, and well, not everybody, but you know, it's becoming a more of a trend. Mm-hmm. And it made me think you were the first person I thought of, I could remember switching their feet to do specific things like, and also mastering it. So that's why I was like, I thought I felt like you invented it. So that's just where it came from. Yeah. I think, I don't know, maybe like with the crank side, I was probably the first to like, well, I was still trying to, to hold it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. if I like, I, I, I did a lot of snowboarding in the in the nineties <laughs> and I grew up around skating, so there was like switch and regular mm-hmm. all that stuff. Or yeah. like yeah, so a switch like so that was in my mind of like, oh, and you well I did it this way, why not the other way? Because yeah. there was like there was something <laughs> ride where I was talking about like all like there was like seventy different variations you could do oh, down a rail or yeah. some something like that, and it was basically like bar in bar out and all that stuff. But then you're like bar in bar out. All right, we'll switch bar in bar out. Like mm-hmm. there's so it's like well if you could do switch ice pick you could just switch your feet and do it out oh, regular like that you know like there was you know switch over grind too or over crank slide. Yeah. Like you can. There was just like. A progression of steps that you can project forward to and then you're like oh all right well, let's get to that you know yeah <laughs> so. um the the 44 sprocket so you were like i'm just gonna do these with this big sprocket was that the catalyst to get your sprocket smaller so you had a little bit more of a crank arm window 
I mean, definitely wanted to, but in, so in the summer of, I'm sorry, the winter of 97, 98, I had this, I, my first apartment was a loft with a, a basically a skate park in it. My first kink ad was in that place. And I remember being like, I was riding a GT fueler (laughs) and obviously you're broke at the time. So I got a GT fueler for a hundred bucks and then I got this like really cheap wheel set, but it was a flip flop hub. And I remember like, Oh, I could run something smaller. I could get like a 15 or I don't know if flip flops did 14s or 15s. I don't, that was sort of race thing. So I don't, quite remember but i was like oh, i could totally get something smaller but the problem was you couldn't get a, a good sprocket that would match up with that mm-hmm. and i remember like that was like the goal i was like oh i could get it lighter and out of the way and and break chains less and just you know that would be awesome yeah. and then eventually like that never panned out because i was like wasn't gonna because sprockets were terrible too and I had a King Sprocket at the time, so like I wasn't gonna give up that just to go lighter mm-hmm. and break stuff. So um, it was always in my mind from like '97, at least. That's crazy. That real set. So, so um, I wanted to talk about crank flips a little bit here. Crank flips the crank arms. Um, have you seen that yet? Have you seen that happen? I wouldn't be surprised that it hasn't happened. Yeah. But I don't particularly think I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'd be awesome. I mean, I mean, it should yeah. line up perfect, right? Yeah, I guess I, it's yeah. just a big guess if your foot catches the pedal right. Yeah, and if you get scared yeah. and you, then you land like uh, one foot off and you're uh, middle of the bike, and who knows yeah. what happened? Right? Yeah, I can't even think. I can't even fathom bailing once you flip the cranks. So. With all the skate parks now, with the low rails, there is definitely a place where you right. can be like, oh, True. the consequences aren't that crazy for someone to figure it out. Dial it in, get it situated. I totally. Maybe Johnny Rakes. I don't know if you, if you ever watched that guy ride. He kind of. I, I've seen him ride. Does he does he have kickflips? I I feel like he's one of the foremost. <laughs> oh fuck, got me. Jesus. No no no. I, I'm sure. Like I was saying, like I. I I've seen him ride, but yeah, he's, I'm sure he's probably got him, right? Yeah, and uh, I wanted to touch base on crank flips because I feel like they're on, they're like the the last frontier of the tricks in and out of things. We were talking Mm -hmm. about like the nosy to bar spin kind of lends itself to it, but the nosy to crank flip is kind of like that your feet are like the base of your bike while you're riding. It's the foundation, yeah. If you throw it, a little too early or too late or the tension's off then you can like kind of get bucked yeah like the back end kicks up or does something you end up like doing that like, weird superman off it. yeah <laughs> i remember uh doing crank flips i i had a i had a buddy take a photo of me doing a crank flip over a gap it was just like a sidewalk block length gap and i was like all stoked because i could it was like my first gap of a crank flip and the uh-huh. photo just looked like a frog Superman. And I was like, that's what it looks like. <laughs> I had an ad. I think it was a Duff's ad that Jeb Z shot. It was a kick flip over a handrail at, I think it's in one of the King videos, but it was in, um, 
we went to the school and rode full seven and then we went back like later that year mm -hmm. or later a few months later and I remember Jeff and I talking about it and he's like I think it's just gonna be a blur like you know oh, you know the cranks. Like and it, it actually worked out but he was he was like I think it's gonna be a blur and I was like well you're, you're probably I mean it's Jeff Z he knows right yeah, yeah. and it, for some reason it worked out but yeah because we, we shot it like it actually works oh my god but yeah it'll look like a <laughs> Yeah, the one foot forward. Do you do it like back foot no. kick or foot? I I started out trying back foot because I couldn't figure out front, but yeah, I eventually learned the front foot. Yeah, that's for me. I like that one. I just had more control. Do you ever watch Philip Demadio ride? You ever see his riding? He's the UK guy, right? And yeah. he like he rode for Kink. Yeah. Yeah. He lives yeah. in Rochester now, and um, really? okay. I got to ride with him a couple times, and. I've never seen anyone so, so dialed at the back foot. Like, I feel insane. like there's a delay to it. Mm -hmm. Like, Ardeline used to, I think Lucky originally did it that way, maybe, I don't know. But um, I remember Ardeline had the classic, like, almost like a no-footer to kick. Yeah, like he's, like he's trying to start a motor or something. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I remember trying that in the beginning, and, like, just didn't work, but there was a guy, Tony Menick, who's from Chenga mm -hmm. in Cleveland. And I remember going there and he was like, oh, no, try with the front foot. And then once once I got that, then it was like, because to yeah. me it's like kind of like skating, like how like when dudes can kick flip and they're like, your foot doesn't, like, and there's no waste in motion. It's like, right, yeah. Like, to me, the front foot does it. There's no like delay in the kick, but yeah, if he, if he can, I've seen him do it, and he like it's so wild. Wild <laughs> so like that. I, uh. The heel flip. Have you ever done any more other than the one you filmed? I probably did it once or twice after that. Um, but I, it was such a like weird. Because I think at that time, like also like, I remember like, cause didn't Lucky do crank clips with a free coaster? So there was drag in there. Yeah. I don't. Oh, I just, I just remember being like kickflips. If your chain was tight or there was something weird misaligned, you would have this like pause and it wouldn't flip as quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was like weird. I, and even like when we went down to nineties drivers and all that, I remember like it never like flipping as good as it did. Mm -hmm. And so when you're pedaling forward, you're like it's like a no footed ET basically. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I probably only did it for that, just because like, like, it's like it's like an Instagram clip, right? Yeah. Just like I rode here, do it once, and then I, I think a lot of my my riding was sort of like I'll do it a few times, and then other people are gonna take it and go with it. You just wanted to and, see what it was like. Yeah, just like I really like just the kind of coming up with the ideas, and then. Like, that's where I got my motivation. Yeah. Um, but doing them constantly over and over again, it's like I've been down that road. Let's 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 either go further down the road or or like let's go down a different road and mm -hmm. see what else we can come up with. Like that's that's sort of like the weird driver of my riding. Yeah. Um, one of those clips I just watched, I think it was the cheap thrill section. You like three sixty. It was a mini ramp that you do the flare, but you three sixty into the ramp before you mm -hmm. do the flare, like. Like it was a purposeful thing where you really wanted to get that three before it 
Like, yeah, I, I maybe that's sort of like the weird progression. That was yeah. So it was a weird progression of like, like obviously dropping in. Like I like dropping in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, can you do a trick and still retain the speed? Like if you did a bar spin in, or if right. you did something in, well, how do you do like a three sixty in? Like three sixty, and you, I mean, you could do it and land flat. Yeah. Or like the goal, it's kind of like maybe like kind of like vert. Like every trick you do on vert, it doesn't matter if you. It's not so much the and even trails in a sense. Like it doesn't matter if you do the trick, but land like a pile of shit. Right. Or like that's a terrible word. Like <laughs> trick, but land, it can't keep your speed. Yeah. Then that doesn't work. Like if you did it on vert, you. Like if you did a trick and you couldn't keep your speed, then yeah, you did the trick, but the goal also is to keep your speed. Yeah, and and this was way before people were nose diving, nose dive threes like over spines and all that shit. Uh, at least I feel like back like then, like the flip kind of thing. Yeah, kind of go up and down. So like the the way that you approached it, I know I'm just kind of dissecting one single thing out of like the whole myriad of things, but it was like the way that you approached it was like you kind of just were hoping it all worked out like the, the way that that, that drop yeah, went. Funny, yeah you try to like when you were doing it, it was like how do you land as high as possible yes yeah and um i think yeah i was able to kind of figure out like proper 360s in a sense like bob sherbo and like rob tibbs had a really good one mm-hmm. yeah. i finally figured out how to do that and then it was like well can i add this and like yeah. What's the weirdest place, hardest? <laughs> how about awkward place to do it? Right. Yeah. Trying to do it into a, a ramp and maintain speed. Yeah. And I think the flare was the goal was like you still needed speed because I flipped that like old school way where it's like you spin off your head, like the center point is off your head or your uh, shoulders, and not like in the middle of the bike. Gotcha. So I I needed a lot of speed. Um, so the proof that I landed smooth. Mm-hmm was to do a flare after mm-hmm. like that, that was my thought yeah so that's cool because it's like it makes the three like a prerequisite yeah you can't you can't land flat and do it right yeah speaking of your video parts is there uh any video parts you said you're real connected to i know you said electronical ride parts and the the sunday hey man woo section i would say i liked obviously the ride parts was like the first my first video part that's awesome um it was cool because i filmed with jeff z a lot like we spend the summer of like it must have been 2000 2001 somewhere i can't i always get the dates mixed up but Mm -hmm. but he was coming up and i was doing things and so it was kind of we had similar names you know so it's like a good (laughs) i think he he just has a really good mind. Like we were equal thinking mm-hmm. on like trick ideas and stuff. And he was super influenced by skate and New York city and then all like the Jersey guys. So it was fun to be with him because he was definitely like a peer. Yeah. And he understood like what I was trying to do. It wasn't like, let's go to the skate park and do wall taps or something. You know what I mean? He was yeah. like, he wanted to push street riding and I was that same way. And it was just, we traveled a lot. He shot a lot for kink mm-hmm. at that point. And so we traveled a lot and it was awesome to have a person of like a similar mindset. So shooting with Jeff was awesome. I think, um, 
two tricks from that that I loved were the 360 over ice, um, just at a skate park, but it was like, that was like direct from skateboarding, direct from snowboarding. Um, and it was just like, well, can you, obviously you don't want to hook your peg, yeah. but can 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 you spin around enough? Like where 360 is that dial that you have that control. And while I, I don't, I feel like it was like a pretty solid, like grind in a sense of like, it wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a bomb, but it was like, I feel like I got a good amount of it. Yeah. <laughs> it was purposeful. Yeah. Get a um, chunk. And then like the flip at the very end at, um, the Clearwater Park, what was that called? Uh, 686 it became, but um, the basically it's like a, to my head it was like a loop but without top. There was like oh. a quarter pipe and then there was the roll-in for the foam pit like that and it went up and went like that. Yeah. And I remember um, being at Road Full 7 we went there and like we were literally leaving and I realized you could do that there. <laughs> <laughs> and we never, if we were gone, and I was like, I because on road flows you couldn't just like should we come back tomorrow yeah like no it was like you do it now or and like you don't really get too 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 many chances to to go back so um we there was a cfb at jacksonville skate park in february and i remember like we went down and i was like we were going to go to tampa and i was like i'm doing it here now just this (laughs) opportunity because if you look at the ride parts, there's a bunch of clips from from that that park, and that was like literally the last trick. They, I got three tries, and on the third one, I pulled it and they turned the lights out. Oh so, shit! <laughs> yeah, they were like, it was like the end of the night courage to finally do it. Yeah. <laughs> I had like every pad I owned on. <laughs> <laughs> was that the same night that you did the the X up blunt to fakey? Is that the same same video part I'm thinking of? It's, is it the same part? Was that cheap drills? No, no, that was it. No, so that acts up. Yeah. Like acts up wall ride fakie. Yeah. That would have been in. That's in Buffalo. Okay. There was like a B three bikes, blades, and boards skate park, like outside of the city. Yeah. And um, they built all these. Extra, they had this like, it was like sprawl of skate park, of outdoor skate park, and then. They had a CFB or a BS contest, probably CFB at that point, in Buffalo in 2002, and they built, like, Wessel and a bunch of people came to build, and they built that ball ride, hmm. and they built a few other things. And uh, so it was like, so that clips two times, too, yeah. Um, so that's from that. That's crazy. Where Clearwater one's all indoors. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. I'm surprised that not more uh, street people are doing the, the XO ball ride fake email. I haven't seen that. Hey, you, yeah, imagine like XL wall rides downstairs. Oh God! Right, like that. I still, I still want to see the XL hanger. <laughs> Damn. Right. Damn. Like you could probably. I remember trying like XL bonks. Yeah. You know, imagine like XL like Jimmy Levan style. Yeah. Toothpick. That would be awesome. I fuck around like that a little bit on like little baby flat rails. I only ride two pegs and I'll I'll be approaching the rail on the wrong side and I'll try and sometimes I just try and like just get a little dink just for fun mm-hmm. and instead I'll catch the upright like all kinds of <laughs> yeah imagine that now. Yeah. I also ride two pegs and you had like a little article somewhere where 
probably the 80, 80 tricks article or something like that, where you said you see a lot of advantages on the non peg side of a bike for other things. Can you ex expand on that a little bit if you, if you feel I, like it? Yeah, no, that was, um, I think that was more of like, all right, let's experiment with pedals and bottom brackets and yeah. crank slides and crooked grind. Like, cause I, um, the one weird thing about the crooked grind, think about it. Like you had a 44 tooth. If you didn't ride four pegs, then you, in, and it was before left-hand drive came in, you couldn't do a crooked grind. Right. Because the way, like you had to have the sprocket clear and it would hit. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's sort of the evolution of like, well, wait, can I do a pedal crooked? That was like my thinking. It's like, well, I still want to do crooked grinds. That's a great idea. But yeah. I'm not going to change the sprout. I can't, like you couldn't, there was no left-hand drive. Yeah, there's no so, options yet. <clears throat> yeah, no options. So it's like, uh, all right. And yeah, because I guess there's a natural side that you're, you're used to in a sense. Yeah. Um, so I saw it as, well, pedal grind, Craig slide, crooked grind, like, like those are variations of grinds. And what I, I think those offered more interesting things than just switch ice pick. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you can so, thread the needle a little bit better cause you're on, you got the two peg set up. Yeah. Yeah. And the bike was lighter. <laughs> it was lighter. I mean, it was steel pegs back then. So yeah, yeah that was. Crucial. Yeah, four pegs was a lot of money, or a lot of lot of weight, right? Yeah. You're when like, you four pegs, oh. Yeah. When you were doing the pedal crooks, this is something I caught on to later on, because um, I was like, I was trying this shit too. I was seeing you do this shit, and I was trying it and fucking shit up. And um, I remember going on some forum, and I was like, I'm trying pedal slides. I can't figure it out. And someone said to squeeze your brakes. Yeah. It was that was that the trick for you to like. Yeah. It was totally because, like, with pedal ice and all that stuff, you mm -hmm. just squeeze the brake and it locks. I mean, I mean, you could almost trace it back to the idea of like uh, I don't remember the old school dude, but you could do. I could never do like a one-footed air on a quarter pipe mm -hmm. with a downside foot without pulling the brake. Oh, that makes sense now because then it, it locks and keeps your force. Yeah, it locks there. the brake and it, it just. Not that I couldn't do it. It just, you wanted to land smooth. And I just either didn't want to put the time in to land, figure out how to land smooth, or I could just pull the brake and I already got it. So maybe it was that understanding. Like if I pull the brakes, then the cranks won't move. Mm -hmm. And the trick is just so much easier. Yeah. And same with the, the like the pedal crooked, same way. Because what happens is like, did you ever like, uh, not pull the brakes. Sometimes when you do a pedal crook, if you pull the brakes at the wrong time, the rail gets squeezed in between the crank arm and the tire. Yeah, it, it's yeah, you, you get caught in snag. There's all kinds of malarkey. Yeah, like yeah, if your pedal's like... below your chainstay. Yeah, and you hit it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that yeah, that's where it slides off and hits the tire. You're right. Yeah. And you're like, you just just stops you and just. I did learn how to do it without brakes eventually. Like, it was more of like a pedal and crank arm and bottom bracket, and I would just kind of just drape the front end over. And it once I figured that out, I was like, "This is this is where it's at." Like, 
you can lock in. But it took me hundreds of tries to get to that point. Yeah, it's all about the, the figuring out the mystery of it and locking in. If you can, once you lock in, I always had problems like because on a double peg grind, sort of like the wheelbase of the pegs, mm-hmm. like the pedal crooked, it's shorter. Yes. So if you didn't lean any back, you would you would go like that. Yeah. And you're like, and so I imagine with your technique, did you end up standing on the pedal more and like kind of lifting with the bike to kind of so it doesn't. Um, no, I, I was like, I would only do it on narrow things that, that slid really well. So then it, like my ideal setup for like the pedal slides was something flat that slid really well. And I would just, I would get, I would probably hit pedal first and then rest down on the crank arm and then just let everything slide. Oh, so you get a solid surface with the crank arm and the pedal. Yeah, it was kind of like a combo. And once I figured that out, I was like, this is, I like this. Like, That's cool. But then I switched to left side drive once I got everything straightened out. And that kind of deleted that trick out of my catalog or whatever. Yeah. But, but then I'm watch, watching Instagram and I see Eric Lichtenberger paddle slide or crank arm sliding, kind of like how I was, but like, on his sprocket side with the chain there, like on the chain, and I'm like, I, I wonder, tried... did he have a guard? No. <laughs> no. I'm like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure if I did that, I'd get like sent to the yeah, yeah. I get whipped, but yeah, so, you break chains and get bucked and yeah, ugh. and now so now I'm at the at the point where I'm like, I kind of want to almost go back to right side drive just so I can play with that trick again, but then if I go back to right side drive. I need to have a drive side guard that is going to be adequate for, cause I really like ice picks as well. Like, yeah, you know, I remember, like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Are, are like, are the drive side guards that that good these days? Like, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I don't think so. Um, I mean, I, I came from the era where we were like hacks on FBM guards and throwing them over our, our, uh, driver. You know, mm-hmm. and that works. But um, after I went to left side drive, I got one of those um, BSD guards. They were like the first hub guard that had plastic over mm-hmm. top. And I started ice picking with that guard, and I mm-hmm. phew, my ice picks improved sure. immensely. You know, that I wish that existed. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, yeah, I like I see what people do now, and I'm like, there's there's definitely a dramatic improvement. Yeah. Like, not that I, I, I definitely thought I could do that, but it definitely, like, when your dropout stick, and, like, I never switched mm-hmm. to left-hand drive because I didn't want to delete those tricks out of my catalog. Right. And I wasn't as good as Eric to be able to do crank slot or uh, pedal grinds and hit the sprocket. And, um, so I never, never switched. Yeah. And so I always had to deal with, you know, the chain hitting or the, the dropout hitting. And then, we didn't have guards yeah and so you like if you did a good ice pick like that's like you landed on the peg and it went yeah well, as soon as you drop out hit then you're like you're screwed yeah or, or the chain and you have to check your chain all the time mm-hmm. i remember putting on a, a freewheel and like the first day with my freewheel i ice picked on it and ruined it like <laughs> i was like oh my god this this is it right here i gotta go to left hand but you know they, they make right they make um driver guards but everybody i've seen with them 
they're kind of rubbing their chain like you can kind of hear it yeah. that's probably some room for improvement like not to talk shit on anybody specifically or anything but the right stuff yeah. they could they could be better I imagine it's just so difficult because you want to make it small and yeah light and out of the way but also protect it yeah you're like what to do like it's such a balance it's such a nip yeah so yeah there's not much room and not much room for error or (laughs) yeah brand new then it's awesome but like whoever keeps their whoever replaces it that quick yeah exactly because basically whenever you develop a bike part it's got to be like war proof because you know people are going to be doing everything anything and everything to it including installing it incorrectly yeah 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 you have a design for how people are going to like install it too yeah and they're probably going to do it incorrectly so how do you get ahead of that yeah <laughs> and they're probably going to keep it for 20 years mm-hmm exactly so. <laughs> I've got the, I got the same BSD guard now for so long and I'm running an old old shadow hub mm-hmm. from 2010 it's to the point where I'm like, I'm starting to be scared that I can, can't even find a replacement. I haven't looked lately, but it's like, oh, I think I think I might have to bite the bullet and just upgrade the whole hub. It's, it's about that time. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. It's probably, there's probably been dramatic improvements since then, so you might get, there. I'm sure brands have made a hub guard that fits with their hub. Yeah. As bad, you know? Yeah. So. It's, it's something to be considered. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to touch base on the butted peg thing because it sounds like you were right on the edge of that. You helped design one for Kink, and then McNeil was making one at the same time. Yeah, we um in two thousand. I remember I started working doing product design at Kink in like two thousand one, mm-hmm. somewhere in the spring. Somewhere I can't remember exact dates, but like a design like the Freebird frame. Like I made the drawings. Like my frame, the Freebird frame, did Defender, I did like the sprocket, like a lighter sprocket, did that, did Damn. Did forks, I did they had a stem with like those gyro tabs. Yeah. Early version of a gyro tab essentially. Did that and then because it was like King was awesome, but they were coming out of we were all coming out of the nineties, which was overbuilt if you overbuild it then that's good. Mm-hmm. But now riding was progressing it was like you know like you don't i would love it to last forever but that's definitely gonna you i can build something to last forever but you're not gonna be able to lift it yeah you know you're never gonna break it but you can't (laughs) lift it so therefore you can't break it also it's this weird yeah um so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy right you're never gonna break it because you can't lift it Um, (laughs) so but we were all coming like between you know, Rob Tibbs and Ryan Schur and like we we're coming out of the 90s of like can like Ryan's really smooth Tibbs is really smooth so it was like can we build things that are light but also obviously can we build things that are light and strong at the same time mm. and cheap right like that's the, the three right yeah you can't do all of them um, pick two right yeah pick two and so we were like mm. Like there's the, the simple things. Like I remember we were going on uh, the Kink Destroyer tour in 2000, and Zach was like, Zach owns Kink, right? Yeah. And he was like, Oh, we got new pegs and a new C plus clamp. 
right? And we and it was El Guapo pegs. Those big, yeah, hand grenade style ones. Yeah. But then also a double bolted seat clamp. And we were like, nah, man, we don't, none of us need this. Uh-huh. We don't want it because the double seat, like, how often does your seat move? Yeah. Like, and the seats are probably getting lower at the time. So, and even like the seat moving is sort of like a fail safe mechanism. Like, <laughs> As long as it doesn't move a ton, yeah, not yeah. a major problem. But that just adds weight. Yeah, and like can't get the steel pegs, and so I started working there, and then that was awesome because we were like, oh, we could do all this stuff, or like, how do we lighten the bike? Mm-hmm. How do we lighten the bike? How do we get it? Um, and obviously, like butted stuff started coming out. And I like, because SM did the Behringer bars, which I believe were the first bud bars in oh, BMX. Wow. Okay. And so that budding was like, oh, well, how else can we do it? Yeah. Where else can we do it? And and thinking about Kink's ability to make things at the time, you all USA made, CNC shop was in Rochester. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, we were sort of limited to the capabilities. And obviously, pegs were, steel pegs are heavy. How can we make that? I think we try to make it shorter and shorter, mm-hmm. and that's that's obviously one way. But then once you butt it, and you're like, keep the ends, you know. So once we butted it, but I would, I would argue that it would happen at the villages happened at the same time as McNeil. Mm-hmm. But I want my gut says they're like right before us, but two different coasts, two different, like everybody's pushing. Yeah, you know, because like think about Ruben's frame was this, was super light. And my frame really pushed it. Some of those all came yeah. up at the same time. So this is what was going on. People were like rejecting the overbuilt of the '90s to like can we build a strong? But you know, I think because we got to like adapt, we got connected to better techniques to make mm-hmm. things. Like my frame and Ryan's frame, the Freebird came out of Brew Blue Ridge Electric Welding in North Carolina, and like those guys all had like different bike backgrounds. So they was like, Oh, what about this? You could do this. And we had access to butted tubing. Like my frame had butted tubing. Yeah. And it was like, I needed to be, I remember the first day riding my signature, like the prototype and it was just being like, Oh, this is so much fun to ride. <laughs> I think the bike was over 30 pounds. That was the first time I probably rode a BMX since. Yeah. That was under 30 pounds. Wow. It was awesome. <laughs> I remember looking at uh, a dance comp, and I I bought a Kink Defender, but I remember looking at the Kink Defender and looking at your frame. And if anybody's listening, I, I'm talking about the one with the keys all over it. No, that yeah. was the first one, right? Um, and the, the traditional frames were eight pounds, I think. The Kink Defender was seven pounds, and your frame, I think, was five something, right? I upper five or yeah. six. And it was like, I was like, man, if I'm going to spend my first job, I, I didn't even cash all of my paychecks. I just held every paycheck until the money accumulated to enough for me to do this huge dance order. I didn't even cash them. But I remember looking at the Defender frame. I just, I really, really liked how that top tube, that little swoop after it goes past the seat tube. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, 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 yeah. Aesthetically, I thought the frame looked beautiful and i remember thinking man i kind of wish this 
was as light as that one because I would just get this one. But I like the stickers on that one better, you know, like everything, you know, like everything was. But I remember as soon as I, as soon as I bought it, not as soon as I bought it, like maybe a year later, I was like, fuck, I should have bought the other one. I should have <laughs> bought the lighter one. Because you bought the Defender mm-hmm. because obviously you work hard and, and you're like, I don't know if it's going to last. The other one's going to last as long as this. And I just worked hard and spent, I don't want to spend all my money on something that's not going to last. Well, I, I wasn't even like I was worried that it wasn't going to last because I was so like novice at riding. I was just doing Feebles and Smiths and like just, you know, hammering out yeah. the basics that I thought it was going to be strong enough either way. But maybe, maybe that was why I went with the heavier frame. It was, you know what? I would say that because when my frame came out, the f- like there was all this pushback, like, like, Oh, this is not going to last. It's too light and blah, blah, blah. And that, that's fine. That's, mm-hmm. but you know what? Like there's going to be somebody out there that's not s- skilled enough, but, but like you think about like, like you learning, maybe you learning on my frame would have been a bad right. situation. Yeah. So the defender worked perfectly in the sense that you learned on a frame that a lot, A, wasn't over like super heavy, but also wasn't super light. So it could take the fact that you were learning a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas like on my frame, was maybe it was too light. Maybe the dropouts were too small. Mm-hmm. So maybe it worked because yeah. that frame was supposed to be like, the middle ground between like the empire rev B that you over overbuilt bikes yeah. and people were, like that's the standard, but it, it, it lightened it up, but didn't go as excessive. Yeah. So it kind of tried to appease the middle <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. Dude, it was a beautifully designed frame. I, w- I wish they would re reissue it just like lighter. That would be awesome. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, you think about, like, because there was no name attached to it, so they could. Yeah. Like, you think about, like, the Sunday bike stuff now, a bunch of the colors have been redone, and then a bunch of the frames models have come back, Mm -hmm. but it's different things. Yeah. Especially because now everything is so light. Like, we we can afford to have a little bit extra on the back there just for aesthetics, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, like let's, let's play around. I mean, not to get on a high horse, but there's so many frames that if they're all if they were all spray painted black, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. And yep. I think that's that's like a an open place for BMX companies to go is you know they can do little tiny things like that and really make something that stands out. Yeah, I mean, they, I think that's why like brands were doing the break bridge stuff. Yeah, I love that shit. Yeah, so I think it's it's something to create a like unique moniker. Mm-hmm. But it isn't really going to detrimentally destroy the frame. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shoot. Um, so were you like, was this around the same time you were? You said you were cutting off axle tips and seat um, posts and steer tubes? Yeah, 2001. I mean, 2000, 2001, I think uh, that was like, I mean, it's just like an avalanche right you're like i cut here i cut here i remember thinking like the idea of like realizing like it's not going to be one thing that dramatically changes everything because it's going to be like oh if the wheels are lighter then that changes it if if you could just because we'd want to give up strength yeah so 
you wanted the bike still to be strong, but if you could take, like, if you could take a, a few ounces from each place, then overall the bike is going to get light, but still be strong. You're not like, yeah, because it's all about like creating weak points of a bike. Yeah. Like, remember like, um, like, like if a frame had like the top tube and the head to me and they put that like super strong gusset. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the, the like gusset between the top tube and the down tube, that like cup gusset kind of. That broad um, one? Or like no? Top tube and the down tube hit. Yeah. Head here, top tube's here, this is here. Yeah. That one that fills in. Yes, yes. And like, that's great, that's strong, but the tubes on the other side aren't strong enough to have such a, you, you basically like, like you're not grading out like the strength. It's just right. like this one's strong, this part is, there's a difference. Yeah, you put so the weak point somewhere else. There. Your head tube's not going to pop off, but it's going to break behind it. Yeah. And so that's the assess, essence of like, of like budding. How it kind of the longer the butt is, then you're totally taking the strength and like spreading it out over distance. The so fr- the frame I had before the Kink Defender was a Gary Fisher. That, okay. That had, had that, that huge floor. cup thing, and then the top tube tapered and got squished when it got to the C tube for I don't know what reason. Just to me, it looked ugly. Like I wonder like, if they trying to make a platform. Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah. The reason I asked you on here was because when I was trying to think of like the 36 big industry switch to 36 spokes, I initially thought of you as like, who's thinking a lot more about their bike setup, the tricks that they're doing, you know, the little, the little things you can do to lighten up the bike. So I, maybe it was in my head, it seemed like you were the person that normalized 36 spokes, but maybe it was just like, it was a whole big wave happening and you just happened to be there as well. I definitely wave for sure, mm-hmm. but I definitely was, I definitely like, was like, all right, once you, once you kind of like, well, we can cut here, where else can we go? Yeah. And, um, the switch to 36, it's, it's, a, it's such a weird, weird time. Cause like rims weren't good. Yeah. Up until maybe the Hulu, that's probably the best. Cause I, I had super sevens. Mm-hmm. I think those are good if you're a racer or you rode trails, but once you hang up on coping, you dented them like instantly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so I think the hula hoops are super strong. Um, the hula hoop again, but then the hula hoop was heavier, especially yeah. if you combine it with the wall. And, Oof. and yeah. <laughs> I, at one point, I had a wall tire, a hula hoop. And a thorn resistant tube. I had a flat t- I didn't get a a flat tire for a year. <laughs> and the only reason why I got a flat tire is because I had a, a safety pin that was undone go through the tube. Huh. Through the, and I was like, Oh man, I I I could probably stand to change a flat tire every now and again. Yeah. Uh, to um to deal with this weight. After that. So yeah. yeah, so um but think about like the thirty six, we were all examining it. Like we just, like the 48 was indoctrined to mm-hmm. us in a sense like that was the standard 48 alex triple walls yeah but even before like the peregrine 48 mm. was there ever a peregrine 36 right. i don't know true i never saw it but that was like probably because rims were single wall yeah and it's easier to add spokes than do a stronger rim yeah especially like i guess how they extrude that aluminum that seems crazy yeah, it's pretty wild to see done, but but like 
so yeah, 48s were like, that was the standard. So, you know, up until that point, if you wrote freestyle and probably street, you didn't challenge that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue that, like, I would say profile doing the cassette hub because cassette hubs weren't in into freestyle. Yeah. But once that's they made the one with the stronger axles because they have race hubs to be three eighths and you need a, like a 14 mil in the back, right? Yeah. And once they made the ability <clears throat> off of that with the stronger axle, then that opened it up to like the freestyle side. And then the question became, oh, do you have 36, can we do 36 or 48? And I remember just having that choice of being like, oh, I could. It's kind of like your Defender story. Like, I could get Defender or this other one that's lighter. Mm-hmm. And you're like weighing it, weighing it. And I remember, I must have gone 36. I'm positive I gone 36. I don't, I don't quite remember, but I remember going into 36 and... And even when I got on Odyssey, uh, yeah, no, I still rode. Okay, so when I got on Odyssey, um, that's a whole cool story in itself. But I still rode the Profile Cassette Hub because I don't know if their Hazard Hub was going or what. But um, but uh, they gave me like they were like Hazard light rims are coming. I'm not going to give you the Hazard rim because that's that's like primo hula hoop style like heavier it's probably heavier mm-hmm. and i wrote i was like well i'll just go for like these race rims that they have and at the time i had cut my frame this is going all over the place but <laughs> i had cut my frame to offer on the non-drive side was a three eighths axle on the drive side was a, was 14 mil because the profile had the studs yeah you could run these two different things because on the, the non-drive side, I can, I don't, doesn't matter. I'm not stalling on the axle. But on the other side, that's where I needed the strength. And uh, so I ran the Odyssey rims knowing that, like, Chris was like, they're not great. They're not, for what you're doing, they're not great. But I was like, well, you know, let me just try. Let's just, let's, if you don't experiment, yeah. You don't know what the range is. And then and I went to the bike show in 2001, like first trip to Europe, and ended up like, I think I was still, I was trying to learn flares and like in the contest, I like destroyed my rim. Wow. Um, and I couldn't, the funny thing is I couldn't switch like someone else's wheel based on the way my spike was set up. Yeah, it was like too bespoke. Yeah, like the one side was, you no, know, who else is going to have Mm-hmm. A setup of three A's on one side, nobody. So, <laughs> is it possible you did thirty six in the front and forty eight in the back to dip your toes in the water? Was that like a thing? I feel like some people might have. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I don't. Okay. I'm gonna. <laughs> I don't remember because I remember. I remember one weird time was I don't know if we had different rims. I remember going to you know how like the centrifugal forest of a wheel like. I remember going to Woodward and we were riding Lot Eight, and I remember having a different weighted front wheel, and it like I noticed it. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh, so I don't remember. I have to. I have to go back. I can't remember. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Do you want to talk about how you got on Odyssey? Sounds like you. Sounds like. Yeah, that that was a cool story. Um, because getting on Odyssey, uh, it happened because Ryan Sure and Jimmy Buckins went to like the two thousand Interbike. And they had talked to those guys, and they're like, "Oh, you, we'll send you whatever you want." 
and Ryan told me about that, and I was like, Odyssey, what the heck would I want from Odyssey? Because this is not the Odyssey today, right? Right. And I was like, what the heck would I want from Odyssey? So it took me a while, and I was like, I guess a gyro? I don't know. I think I was kind of dabbling, right? So yeah. I was like, I called Chris, Chris Katsonis, and I was like, all right, well, let's, let's see. Because, you know, I didn't know anyone at the company. So I was like, is this going to be like Nerd Factory? Is it like corp, corporate, like corporate stiff? Like I had no idea because yeah. Odyssey wasn't relevant. Got on the phone with Chris, who's the designer, and he's arguably the catalyst for – he's like the unsung catalyst for why Odyssey is as good as it is. Right. I don't think people realize, but he is, he's from, you know, Rochester. Oh, he is. So, so, yeah, he's from Rochester and he, he's like, we're at the same age or he's a bit younger. Okay. Um, but he's, he's straightforward, just straight up and like the honesty about it. And like, you could just tell, like, he wasn't a sales guy. This mm-hmm. is not a sales guy. He's awesome. He's not a sales guy. Like he had no schmooze but just straight up facts and talking and like we just connected and sound like I trusted him. And he told me about like a lot of the things I mean, he was trusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me a lot of the things that was coming and I was like, Oh, then that was just hitting my buttons in the sense of like lighter this and lighter that. And with the technology and stuff. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is, this is pretty awesome. This oh, is, yeah. they're moving in a direction that's sweet. Whether it comes to fruition, we'll see. But mm-hmm. obviously, fruition. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Did you ever experiment with like alternate lacing patterns? For example, I remember I try. I saw somebody else do it, and then I tried it, like the twist lace. Yeah, I had a radial lace front wheel. Oh like, shit. At, 97 through 98 like that winter like maybe a little <laughs> bit after but that was the only time i i had ever really experimented because i don't think i could really lace a wheel at that point uh-huh. um maybe i could i don't I remember learning it being super pumped like yeah I'm a cheap life you know i could yeah. I can, i'm a bike mechanic you know yeah um but i never really experimented what about lacing do you remember like people would lace their front hubs all from all the inside the I never did it. No. Yeah. Okay. I, just, I don't know. I think I just just went for it. Yeah. <laughs> Once I figured out how to lace a wheel, I'm like, ah, that's. Yeah. You didn't have any problems. Yeah, I didn't have any problems. I mean, maybe I did. I definitely would chew up spokes, but I was like, ah, we'll just deal with it. Yeah. There's other problems you can yeah. happen instead. I guess we could talk about like we didn't really we just talked about um mm. video arts. We can yeah. go back because we didn't really talk about electronical and. Yeah. I think I liked. A, odyssey electronical just because like the part was sort of a trans like a transition style in a weird sense i was going faster um i think i was a little more trying to ride tighter trend like if you go on street you're like oh here's a set of stairs here's a rail that's that's what you do but it was also like looking at the world around like can we figure out how to ride this can we figure out how to ride that yeah and uh, that was happening and then uh i was just going faster and one of the things like if you did a line i always hated the idea of like someone would do a trick land pedal do another trick land pedal i just was like especially if the trick wasn't like anything crazy if you could i wanted to like go as fast as i could grind or whatever didn't carry that speed to the next thing the next thing like the idea of like how fast can you go for a trick and keep all that speed and end up at the end like can you do it without pedaling 
Well, I have a clip that just popped in my head as soon as you said that. There was, I forget which section it is, it might be that one, where you bar up a curve, and I think it's a gap to second stage ice, or it's a gap to pegs, one of those two, but like, th- there's a clip right before yeah. it where you're like, yeah. you blow off the bike, and I'm thinking in my head, yeah. I think everybody else in the world would have just barred up it kind of slow and kind of pedaled at it. So I think that's like what you are what you mean, like, just trying to go with the inertia there. And... Yeah, because you know how like, I think, because someone would do a trick before they go do something. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the opposite of how people do a trick, land, and then 180 off a curb or yeah. some, some variation, like that yeah. kind of thing. But it's that before it. Can you do the trick, one trick before it, keep all your speed, and go do, do the thing you're doing? Yeah, you got to like get the, your special up before you try it. What's that? You got to get your special up before you try it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like I guess it's probably like the uh, 360 into the ramp to flare. It's mm-hmm. Like, can you keep the speed up while doing a trick? Yeah, like that kind of weird. Like I was like, cause you think about trails and like vert. How I was saying earlier, like the trick doesn't matter if you don't land smooth. So it's like the before and after also counts. Right. So like in street, like the before and after is, is can you do something? while before and keep it going yeah well kind of kind of weird weird analogy but that's sort of like the logic i was thinking of like can you make everyone could ride it around and do it perfect mm-hmm. but can you do a trick before like how close can you do a trick before it and then do the thing yeah you're kind of adding flow to street in a, in a way yeah when i film that that clip you're talking about is um from hey man woo okay. from the sunday shop video and at that point, I was doing the bike company and doing the shop, so like time to ride was minimal. Mm. And and I remember like a lot of it. I think we had a bunch of younger skate kids that were like fifteen or sixteen, and like it's what you do at that age. Like there's no spots, there's no this, there's no that. And and I remember like the idea of like you gotta remember like I could make a video part within a mile of the store. Holy shit. It, just just based on the idea like it's not going to be like the classic handrail mm-hmm. but the idea of like this is what you got how can you make this into something yeah and so like that setup was like you know you can was adding like variations of like going faster and grinding and things like that or going faster doing a trip before it and because buffalo doesn't have anything we don't have any spots <laughs> <laughs> i just said like this is what I have. How can I make it better? Yeah. Like this is the hand I'm dealt. Working all the time. Can I do something interesting with what's what's here? Like, yeah. What's the next step? Can you go faster? It's not always like the trick progression. It's well, can you do it faster? Can you do it longer? I don't know. Like yeah. It's adding that kind of stuff to it. Yeah. I wanted the things like with the speed. I wanted it to be more like feel more spontaneous mm-hmm. as opposed to obviously so it was like i always liked the idea of like just riding like think of like the dudes that are really natural on their bikes and the idea of like you could go down the street and like like the goal would be like go down the street see something and then do it and then keep going like you never did it like to me like the pre-programmed like i've been here for an hour doing a trick like to (laughs) me that i I don't i didn't like it at the time Mm. probably because my time was limited right yeah so the idea of like i'm just gonna I would love to get to the point where I can go down the street to be riding and then do a trick and land and just keep going. Like never have to ride it again that day. Just it's all about exploring. Hell yeah. I'm off to the next spot. (laughs) 
like the mile long line where we're talking about that. Yeah. Like I was trying to figure out how to fill like, could you do a mile long line? I think Chad Curley basically did it <laughs> years back, but the idea of like, could you film what it'd be interesting of like going through a city and just hit spot after spot and doing a different trick and getting it all. Yeah. That sort of sense of freedom mm-hmm. in the sense of like, I don't have to overthink it. I can just, or you're that skilled and you could just do all your tricks. Yeah. I think that requires a lot of practice. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Or dumbing down of your tricks. But that, that would be my <laughs> yeah. move. <laughs> yeah. I, sometimes a lot of my routing, um, the loot's down to just double tire bump jumps. I've been a big fan of that lately. Really? Like, like hit don't dunk? And... Yeah. Cause like, I remember growing up, we would like mess with it. Like, everybody would do like the front tire or just the back tire but to do both yeah it's pretty wild like i remember being a kid using like where the trees were on the sidewalks mm-hmm. and they would create the great and you remember hitting the bumps like because i wasn't strong enough but the bumps helped you oh yeah exactly like as you get older and like things hurt and it like it kind of sucks bunny hopping from flat so it's like get some speed and you just run into these things <laughs> and it's like your Super Mario or whatever. Just yeah, I got a springboard or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm all I'm all down for the low effort, but still getting some. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Um, I have this one question here. It's actually an answer from you about seeing riding open up to the idea of all riders are important. If BMX was open to retaining generations, the brands would be able to cater them, giving them more money to do things with. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think um, I think there's plenty of room and market for older riders. I think it's an untapped resource that I think BMX is slowly wising up to. The bikes are better, so it makes it easier to ride, and in hand, people can keep on them longer, even if it's a more casual thing. And I think in general, the older bike riders are going to have a little bit more money and a little bit more informed decisions. Yeah. Yeah, just think about if you if a BMX brand was able to sell to dudes in their fifties or in their forties or whatever, or even like, I think it's the nature of, uh, like guys, as they get older, they eventually have kids. And if they, their kid wants to ride a bike, Mm -hmm. like that is like, I would think the coolest thing for a dad to be able to go to the skate park and take your kid and you both share that together. I think that would be awesome. And And it's happened. And I remember being like, like talking about like brands doing complete bikes, right? And there was this like, oh, that's not cool, blah, yeah. blah, blah. That's fine. But if you're that dude who has a 10-year-old son, do you want to buy your son a Gary Fisher or do you want to buy them a T1? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I want my kid to ride a T1. Like yeah. that would be the coolest thing, right? Yeah. So to me, I was like, oh, that would be like – the brands take over, right? Like all the little, all the little, like the rider owned brands would take, take away because like, like the red lines and like all the bigger brands that do complete bikes, basically cater shops. And if the rider owned companies were able to make complete bikes that bid into all those, then you can kind of take the sport back Mm -hmm. and you almost have to bite in at all levels. Like, and it's happening now for sure. Like, um, like the bigger bikes and the little bikes and you get like this something for everyone. Yeah. Um, I think my problem like with BMX is like, 
it's not a problem. It's just, I don't see a lot. I'm 47, so I don't really see a lot. Not like, I see a lot of other dudes like me. Okay, yeah. That's the weird, and maybe it's out there. Yeah, maybe it's out there and it exists, but I don't, for some reason, I don't see it. Um, and maybe someone can tune me into riders that are older like that, because it would be awesome to have, like, show them at the pump track here. I think, I think the evolution of pump tracks will help, but, because... Yeah. Um, you don't have to learn a trick, right? But yeah. you just ride and go fast. And that's all I really want to do. Just yeah. ride and go fast. Um, love a really good bowl, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and, but I just, for me, I don't really see it. And a lot of times older dudes, I think you almost feel compelled to have to do tricks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like maybe, and if you feel compelled to do tricks, maybe you won't. You just because there's like the weird measure of where you were, right? Yeah, and where you are now, and that's a tough struggle for everyone, I imagine. And when you graduate to a mountain bike or a road bike, then there isn't that measuring. It's also like a new experience, maybe. So people go, oh. yeah. and I, I well, the funny thing is that you take that BMX attitude of like, fuck it, you know, yeah. just go for it to those things, and you like dominate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, I mean, because the, the older rider is going to want, like, a Strider bike for his kid, but he might, you know, he might still want stuff for him, for himself. Like, oh, I need a new set of bars. Like, it'd be cool if teams had, like, these older riders. Like, I I, I don't know if it's just because of, like, the time I grew up, but I just love bike videos. And I mm-hmm. feel like if there was, like an like, a... I don't know. It doesn't even have to be company specific. It could be like, think of the trip video. Do you, do you remember the very first trip video? I Yeah, I don't know if I watched it, but yeah. Okay, it was all these different riders from all these different companies all on, all on one video. Mm-hmm. It was, it was actually, it was actually really, really good. But um, um, if there was like an older rider type video like that, or yeah. if company XYZ had these older riders, they, they put a little video together. I would watch it, you know, a 40 plus club edit, you know, a 30 plus club edit. Like I would, I think there's people out there that would be interested. Yeah. I think I remember like at Texas toast, the 2013, mm-hmm. they had a master's division for like high air and best trick. And I remember being like, like at ease because at that point I was 40 and I was riding basically with my peers from like the early two thousands, which was, mm-hmm was awesome and um and i didn't have to be like you didn't have like 20 year old blasting 10 feet higher than you right like you know and and, and so it was fun a i was like oh, it'd be, it was fun to like a ride with your people and then also not be like outshined in a sense of like yeah. oh i suck yeah <laughs> but but like i thought that was cool and i was like oh this would be great it would be fun to be able to like compete with other masters division because that's like like i would run a lot Mm -hmm. and it's not in running it's all about like there's age groups and then there's a masters division because if it's about who wins the race who's the fastest overall you're gonna lose half the audience right now you're gonna lose if there's no men's and women's division imagine if there's only overall right you know who's going to run the race that you're like, well, I'm definitely not going to win 
and you might i don't know you just you give all these nuggets these ways for people to like feel like they're competitive yeah or feel like like oh i got fifth in my age group how'd you like in a half marathon i was an hour behind the winner but whatever <laughs> yeah that's cool like a subgenre like you know what's that so people celebrate these little yeah accomplishments and i yeah that's sort of the weird way i sort of see like bmx like it would be cool if it'd be cool if i just saw other people that are like me yeah in there i mean maybe i should start it but I won <laughs> too much, <so. laughs> yeah you got a lot going on i wanted to talk about your progression out of bmx into other things stepping away from from the riding thing into other things yeah i kind of like again i'm i'm older so like i said i was 47 and when i really kind of stepped out there was like i had a couple injuries i had a staph infection in 2011 mm-hmm. that sort of like made me wonder what the heck i was doing and then I got injured, you know, a few months later with my hand and it was like, it was just me like pushing something that I don't think, I mean, it was the, the, the way of trying to stay relevant and I hurt my hand and I was just like, what am I doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times, like I wasn't seeing people my age. I was like, you think about like a dude who's 40 hanging out with like a 20 year old, like, and you do that for like, say like 30 to 40, you end up hanging out with like 20 year olds the whole time. You kind of lose this like cycle of life. This like stage in life. You mm-hmm. kind of like, you're still regressed into this, what a 20 year old see, and you're like, you know, you don't really have people around you that are your age. <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting. And that's why I kind of like, like I, don't, I realized that, but I didn't realize the severity of it until mm-hmm. I got into running. Mm-hmm. When I realized running was like, all different ages, um, men and women, like all different professions. And the cool thing about running is you couldn't tell if someone was rich or poor mm-hmm. because they're all sweaty and gross in running gear. <laughs> like it was, and nobody wanted to talk about anything. It was like their escape from whatever they're working or doing. Right. Right. That's cool. And, and so I definitely gravitated towards running just cause I, a, I found people like kind of like me mm-hmm. and when, when you're like TMing and doing a bike company, like I said, like you're around 20 year olds all the time. Yeah. And that's great. Like they're like, I'm not poo pooing it or anything. It was just like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not old. There's an age difference. Right. And it was very apparent. And it was like, all right, like, how do I find, how do I find riding for me again? Yeah. And, and like, I'll go to the pump track. I think pump tracks again. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the reality of of what your real situation is for you, Jim, mm-hmm. was becoming more apparent. You know. Yeah, I don't think some people, most people, won't understand it, but when they get older, they'll understand it if mm-hmm. they're still doing it. I remember like being in the UK one time, riding the the Model C, and this like kid. I was thirty six, and there was a kid who was like sixteen. He was like giving me shit. He's like, "When are you gonna get back on a BMX?" And I was like. Oh, I'm on a BMX. Oh, you don't. Oh, tell you what. When you're 36, if you're still riding, awesome. But at this point, like, I'm not here much longer. I don't have much more to give, so I'm just gonna do what I want. Yeah. And 
that song, you know, and yeah. and we went there. It's like the liver Liverpool had these like tranny walls, like is like Wismersky had a, like, probably a photo on it. Mm. I think it did, and it was like tight tranny and a little rounded gap to like super high, like textured wall. And I was like twenty four, like as high as I could go, like went as high as I could on a twenty. And, like Aaron Ross and I did over under on it. Okay, he went over, went over, and I remember giving the kid shit about it, like come on. <laughs> I couldn't. He couldn't. And I was like, I just at that point when you're older, you just like do what you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's like, isn't that what leaders do? Like, that's how, like, people that are ever like progressive or push things, they kind of do what what works, what what they're interested in, and then other people go, oh, that's possible. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like something like that. Yeah. you're following your own path, kind of vibe there. Yeah, you you follow people that are like confident right or or like do you ever have like a charismatic friend like 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 that person sort of leads the mm-hmm. group because other people can't quite be as charismatic so they kind of follow the coattails of that and like yeah. see what it comes from like i don't know yeah no, i know what you're talking about like the up and downs of riding were like the idea of like oh shit i'm getting old like when i was pro when i became pro i was like late 20s okay wow yeah like I was born in 73, so in 2000, I was 27 already. Damn. So, like, on Road Fools, I was 27. So it was like, I don't think you see that today. Mm-hmm. I don't, maybe there are 27-year-old people becoming pro. I don't know. Like, it was a late start to it. So yeah. Uh, by the time, you know, my good years, like, I was, like, 30, 32, you know? And, um, and I think it's just the age, like, me yeah. being older. And, I, like, I kind of, like, traveled for like 13 years all the time always like never really like home yeah always moving always doing stuff and that like traveling takes a toll and work too much takes a toll and writing takes a toll and you're kind of like oh where's the rest of my life yeah <laughs> yeah it's crazy when like you try other things and the circumstances aren't smashing your face into the ground or smashing your nuts into a rail it's like, oh, I can, this is, this doesn't seem as crazy to try. You know? Right, right, yeah. I'm like, wait, I'm not going to be bleeding after this? All right, yeah, I can go run a half marathon. <laughs> Earlier we were talking about, like, you meant, like, I asked you if you were, if you had a podcast, what would you talk about? And you said about, like, tricks, how tricks open doors for other tricks. I, yeah, I, I always got into the idea of, um, I think my first, my the original name for my uh, kink frame was supposed to be the Imagine. Oh shit! Just because it was sort of like I was like, I could remember like going to before I would go to sleep, or I'd lay in bed and I couldn't sleep because I would just kind of let the mind go and whatever trick you know just right. whatever happens it would, and it would take me forever to get to sleep and it was like this really mentally progressive era of like trick development whatever right mm-hmm. but i recognized the idea that like i couldn't do this trick before i do this trick right yeah like well, you can't do a crank flip to crank slide until you do crank flip or crank flips and crank slides right i mean maybe you're van homan you can well, I can do kick flips and i could do crank slides so i should be able to you know yeah but i i like especially like um one of the things I was I would say to myself is like, shit, this trick doesn't work right now. 
Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it would. It, it's not going to work or it's never going to happen. It's just not right now. Yeah. Like whether either a new product comes in or a better setup comes in or something like that, then it works. I would just kind of leave things on the back burner. Yeah. Because I remember like, like you could probably do a pedal ice to front side crank slide. Like imagine that. Oh, just a yeah. logical turn. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird way to say it. But like you think of product development Think of like we were talking about ice pick grinds. Yeah. Like ice pick grinds didn't really get good until the evolution of hub guards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you could trace it back to what did um John Pova do the first ice down a rail, I believe? Like oh, into the shit. pool or the trainer? One of those guys. Holy shit. But or even like um did you ever hear the story of the the peg grind? Steve Swope did the oh. first peg grind on on a ramp like peg grinds on street didn't exist right okay gotcha but each swope and because hoffman just commented on instagram like somewhere right but steve swope did is credited for doing peg grinds first but it's only because they saw craig campbell to peg stalls oh right okay yeah and like i love that kind of like oh who who evolved here and then they here's to here and like did overgrind, yeah. you know, all these kind of, I love that kind of like, like in the weeds talk about who, who did what. And then it changed. Like, I would think like, like for my era, like Vic Ayala, Edwin and Bob Shurbo and those, those guys like really, really pushed it. And you would have tag as like a tag, did all the early rails, but then he would have this other side that was pretty tech. Mm-hmm. He would always have something. I think me, I think, Wiz. Yeah, Wiz. Yeah, Wiz. I would almost say, like, Wiz just a little bit later. Yeah. But like, there's those, there was a couple people. I forgot. Like, even, like, Hino. Obviously, Hino. Mm-hmm. He, had, he had Tech and Burley. Um, but you think of, like, these certain guys that like, pushed it right at that, that point. Yeah. Uh, I love that kind of, like, that kind of talk about who's, you know, Ralph. Jesus. Talk about Ralph. <laughs> Like he did so much stuff. Right. And I wanted to run this past you because I, I had this idea. I mean, like I said, I'm just an, I'm just a, a regular dude from Central PA that likes bikes. So I only have so much pull. I can only do so much. But one of these ideas I had was like, think of like like Google Maps, how you can like just zoom in and search like in the things. But about tricks. Because BMX, especially now that like sites are going down and we're kind of losing history shit's not getting backed up here and, and there um i had an idea for some kind of like trick history slash lineage almost like a like um you ever see those those maps where it's like a circle and then another circle and like what relates to what yeah 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 so yep. like imagine if it was like you know the big the big circles are like the basic tricks and you zoom in and you can see so and so added this piece to that trick you know, like an interactive yeah, map. Yeah, if you could like use the video now history and be able to archive like moments in time. Yeah, almost like the Barracks Trickopedia, but it would be one big image that like young. It would be easy for young kids to just like get into and. Yeah, that makes sense. Think about like uh, I grew up skateboarding, right? And I remember seeing ads of Tony Alva and Alva skateboards and all the stuff, all these dudes with dreadlocks and, and like being like, you know, a 13 year old kid in Buffalo, New York and, and literally picking up a magazine and 
1986 for the first time, you don't have that lineage, that link to the history. And it mm-hmm. really wasn't until seeing like Dogtown and Z Boys in like 2002 where I was like, oh, that's why he's important. And that's why he has <laughs> Oh, I get it. I get it. You yeah. know, and that makes a lot more sense. And that would be the same kind of thing. Yeah. Like you think about like the history of, like I do like listen to like, Space Brothers and Snakebite Dig BMX thing, like because yeah. I, I only listen to the older dudes mm-hmm. because in a sense I have these gaps where I don't really, you know, I don't really know, yeah. and and I don't have my own experiences. Mm-hmm. So I listen to like Eddie Fuel and and uh, Wilkerson and Blyther and just just kind of older guys to be like, oh, I get it. Okay, here's. Like hearing about like um, bunch the old skate parks and who did what and yeah. you know Oscar Gonzalez or you know Hugo Gonzalez stories and things like that. I thought that was pretty like it fills it in. Yeah. So I was like, oh, podcasts are amazing. <laughs> exactly, man. And thanks mm-hmm. again for doing this. Um, yeah. So when I when I looked up your name, I just wanted to check make sure I'm not asking some some super redundant stuff. Okay. And I, I saw that I saw you on LinkedIn as a digital designer is that mm-hmm. is that something a new hobby or a new profession you kind of moved into as of recently or yes and no i think like doing sunday bikes you wear like every bike brand you know like joe rich is a photographer he does t1 like yeah, yeah. everybody has just because like we don't we didn't have the money mm-hmm. and you just wear many hats so you know at one point i had like whole bunch of cameras and sliders and tripods and and whatever so you i think i've always been creative just camera wise um like a lot of like the early king videos i filmed um things like that so it was like it's just this non-stop like well here's and just this non-stop like evolution of a creative person i guess mm-hmm. i don't think like i think like riding bikes being creative that way is the same as it's just just a different medium right so bikes and being creative is the same as photography um but i would argue that um i did uh like i did that did the mile by mile running project where i ran every street of the city yeah i wanted to mention that yeah yeah and just shooting photos of that and like sunday was like super progressive in the sense we're one of the first brands on through social media like twitter and instagram facebook like we were one of the first ones i think like maybe like profile like matt copeland i think those guys were pretty pretty up there too mm-hmm. uh, so i ended up at sunday like handling all the social media uh to like 2013 and got to watch a lot of the change and see like i was as much as people don't probably like it, but I definitely like pushed to pull out of print media mm-hmm. in a sense, because like Sunday was like worldwide at that point. We had distributors everywhere. And unfortunately advertising in a BMX magazine in the U S doesn't cater to those audience. Like it doesn't help because those magazines don't reach. Right. And for a global brand, how do you reach other places? I remember like Steven Savage, he was from South Africa and he had a photo and he's like, can you send me a copy? Cause I'll never see this. <laughs> and being like, Oh man, what do we do? And pushing out away 
pushing into online and social media really like we were one of the first ones so learning from that and then doing the running project and doing more photography a little different photography and then um i went to grad school for urban planning and realized how much more creative than i thought i, I was than i thought i was and then ended up getting like i've always done video and stuff and and just get got a job doing video and i do animation stuff too yeah so it's kind of, kind of a weird evolution of maybe a creative person i guess i don't yeah. know you said you went to grad school what what did you go to school for before that um i have a geology undergrad oh shit and then the funny thing was literally right before bmx started i was in grad school for urban planning uh-huh. and i literally right before i went on road pool seven the night before i had finished like that semester of grad school i think it was either a first or second full semester and i remember like i don't know if i'm coming back to this because uh-huh. i remember like like there was a great jay Miron interview um back whenever right um in rye where he was he was like i think he was either done with bmx or he was debating something was happening and he had like a, a professor or, or somebody like like teacher talk to him and go he's he's canadian right so he's like they were like you don't want to be that guy who's 28 who's thinking he's making the nhl right yeah i remember here reading that one right yeah. and it's like that one's like so perfect because it was like you either do it now and i remember like and you BMX t- was starting to happen and being like i could come back to grad school when i'm 50 like you're not gonna be a pro bmx or at 50 like right here's an opportunity like if it works cool if not come back in two years and finish this damn and i so i didn't come back in two years i come back in 17 years <laughs> <laughs> so i finished i did uh finished my master's degree in 2018 and then just sort of like evolve i wanted to kind of push my creative side early like, i just think obviously through doing sunday bikes and mm-hmm. doing all the social media and seeing the power that it has mm-hmm. as an urban planner they're like super wordy here's a report like no one's gonna read your report you right. need to make it in a way that like is visually interesting yeah then you can get other people involved or you can get people to see it so what is exactly urban planning? Is that like saying like the library goes here, the hospital goes there, like figuring out the like, like, I don't know. I'm, it's right. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really broad, broad scheme. It's usually a lot of government officials, um, our urban planners. It's like, like what, um, you call it, I don't say, um, but it's basically like, what is their 10 or 20 year plan for the city? How do we, like cities are really businesses, if mm-hmm. you think about it. Yeah. They're like, they collect tax money on property tax and sales tax in order to fund, there's like a, they're like a chair, they're like a not-for-profit, right? Mm-hmm. They collect tax money, I don't know if that's the right term, not-for-profit, but they collect tax money on property and sales tax, and they use that money to fund their programs. So how does a city develop itself to produce as much tax money as possible to fund their programs, but also make it equitable. Right. Like rich people all get all the spoils from the tax money, then 
you know your city's going to be trash <laughs> or it's like it's uh, development is or urban planning is the ability to kind of plan out a city like here's the development process here how are we going to then use that to create money wow. for the city on itself and, and in the future cool uh, there's a lot to it but yeah that's yeah. A, sort of a real brief storyline is that something that um that you're looking to get into now like as, as a position or is it something that you're just happy that you did i would if I could find a way to bring video and animation stuff into into urban planning, mm-hmm. um, I would gladly go that way. I would love to do like, and then it sort of exists the idea of like, mostly like the history nerd, and the idea of like if you how do you like how do you get people on your side or how do you get people to envision a project, like this is the the way to do it in the sense like. And this exists, like the idea you could go to a site and maybe it's an empty parking lot, but you hold up your phone oh, shit, and you yeah. can see what's there. Yeah. Dude. Right? But then also you could do it in a way of like, because most people don't, we, we don't know the history of places. If you just drop yourself in, you don't know. But it'd be cool to be like, what did the street look like in 1890 and do the same thing? Yeah. Like, oh, this was a field. We were in the woods in 1890. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That kind of stuff. I, I like. I think you would get people more involved and in, and in understanding. You know, like they may only look at it for a moment, but then you can get other people like a different level. Some people don't care. Some people care a little bit. Some people care a lot. Yeah. Because that's the one weird problem with our planning is you. If you ever have a meeting, the only people that get to show up are the people that are usually, um, like, have more money. Or they're not working, like, but it, but you only get a narrow audience at meetings right. because they have to be at the right time in the right place, and it has to fit for them. Whereas, like, if you get a person who works second shift and the meetings are out at six, they're not going. Yeah, they can't. They're out on valuable opinions. Mm-hmm. So, so and maybe they're not paying attention anymore. So, it's how do you connect? How do you get people to, you know, connect to an idea and see things and understand the world and participate? Yeah, for sure. I um, I live in Harrisburg, and there's like this big river, Susquehanna, that mm-hmm. goes right by, and we got a letter in the mail about the water system. Like they were gonna, they were gonna test the emergency water system. They were explaining to us that they were, like, there's a water treatment facility, and that the water, um, I'm butchering it, but the water flows to the river, but if certain things happen, it can just screw everything up so they were flipping they were switching it over to like reserve or there were you i don't know how to explain it but they were basically water and like reservoirs upstream or something or either either they were using regular water and they were switching to the susquehanna water to make sure the test worked or vice versa okay so your water quality is going to change yeah so they were they were talking about that yeah in a sense yeah and it's like, damn. So like that that's something like like what you're saying. Like mm-hmm. if you could instead of this like weird dense pamphlet, I had a nice interactive video. Yeah, I mean that's awesome. Right? Like imagine on Instagram, you get an Instagram news feed and or like an ad and it's like, This is gonna happen to you unless because they wouldn't know you where you're located. Yeah. Might yeah. be kinda cool. Especially because yeah. like you don't like I don't know like you're right, like this city has plans plans years ahead 
of what's happening right now and I don't know what they are and how yeah. do I find out what they are? How do I engage with it? How do I participate? Like, it's yeah. crazy. And if you have a limited time, mm-hmm. you're like, well, I'm not going to pay attention to this too long. Mm-hmm. Just a little snippets of like, oh, I saw something like that. Yeah. And if you connect it, if you see it again later on or things like that, then you start to connect the dots and then you, hopefully your interest is peaked and yeah. become involved. Or at least understanding. Mm-hmm. If you understand what's going on, or at least to some level, of course. But yeah. It's killing. Well, I'm pulling for you. I think that'd be really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, um, I think that's all I had for you. Thanks again for uh, being on here. Yeah, no problem, man. Um, is there anything else? Yeah, you have, you have any questions for me or anything else you'd like to say? What's the picture? Is that Who's that on the picture behind you? Right there? That, yeah. That's Bob Sher- Bob Sherbo uh, uh, Empire poster. Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, I was like, is it Bob or is it Ralph? I for the longest time, I thought it was Ralph, but I'm like, no, I think it's Bob. <laughs> I got another one here. I might I might try and show you just for the sake of it. I got my laptop plugged into so much shit, but yeah, cool. I got that Wiz poster right there. That's sick. It's one of my favorite photos because he's like five feet out of a jersey bear somehow uh, it's that's amazing it's like it's weird to think like the evolution of jersey barriers the idea that you could ride it like quarter time yeah I, lo- I love the idea of like finding something that doesn't quite look like it can ride but trying to figure out how to ride it anyway yeah like, that's fun that's always been more thrilling <laughs> yeah, exactly. for me anyway yeah because then you can look back at it and be like I, I got tires on that like I touched that ride and stuff uh being able to ride the impossible kind of thing yeah Yeah. like you think of like uh how when like riding jersey barriers came in and you're like wow this is just a really kinked quarter pipe Mm -hmm. in a sense because that little flat part had a little transition yeah you're like oh i could use that as and if you found the one with a little bank at the top bottom or the the short lip like you can kind of get up on it and obviously thinking about like the whiz poster like him blasting out of it and and eventually if you think about it like like a, a banged wall is a quarter pipe yeah with a gnarly kink and a flat bank <laughs> wall is basically a, or a flat ground wall it's just a quarter pipe with a gnarly kink yeah just the way people can manipulate it like ah. yeah um i think whiz had like a little article in, in a ride or something like that it was like tips on how to ride tight tranny or something like that and he said about bumping hard at the bottom, you know? Yeah. And uh, I saw a parking, so this was like two or three years ago. I saw a parking curb completely up against the wall. And for mm-hmm. some reason in my head, I was like, I think that's possible. I think if you just, if you just tr- monster truck, you will get there. And I was wrong. I <laughs> front good and then when I my back would hit it it like threw me into the wall because there's no gap it was just parking curb wall mm-hmm. and it just I got bucked I've whenever I get bucked real hard I'm 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 done after the first go but for some reason on, on this one I was like no this is gonna work and after like five times I was like yeah somebody can do it but not me I don't have the skill yeah it doesn't it doesn't work right now yeah but maybe after you like find a one with a bigger ga- gap, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when, yeah, when you kind of go and try something, you're like, I think this works. I think this 
Uh, oh, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. Oh. Just getting ragdolled on this shit. It's like running into a brick wall. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Super funny. Yeah. Super funny. Uh, right. Well, thanks again, Jim. You've been really generous with your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. It's awesome. I love I love talking tricks and, and history, and it kind of helps me, like, kind of place things back in. And, you know, I had a post recently, something about, like, um, like, if you're ever lost, you kind of, like, look back. Or, like, I mean, I don't like to look back mm-hmm. very often. Cause I feel like it's a distraction. But I look back at a bunch of things, and I was, like, kind of nice to know where you came from. Yeah. And it kind of guides you later on. So it's kind of nice to, like, how much I've evolved. So it's like, oh, all right. Yeah, when you when you mentioned Road Full Seven, I was like, I can't I can't even imagine being a rider that's been on like multiple things like that, like remembering which one was which. Like I can barely remember yeah. all sessions. Road Full Seven was amazing, just because like maybe it was the, I I don't know maybe the other ones were later on, but like the core group of like the original cast members in a sense was there. Mm-hmm. Like, like Frymouth and I've even even like they've done like Osato was there and Enns was there he was and obviously Rye and, and Mark and like Ron Kindler and like, like Colin Winkleman like these dudes are all like people like big names straight out of the 90s and they were obviously later on but like going there you're like holy shit these dudes are all like like the the dudes right yeah. and so that was like pretty wild to be a part of that and sort of like be part of this like privy to this like early road fools crew and that people that i watched so much mm-hmm. so, awesome awesome all right well, take care jim thanks for being on and if yeah. you ever want to come back on you're always welcome awesome thanks man